You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress with Susan Simmons. That's me. (laughs) I think. At least today I am. Tomorrow I may not remember. (laughs) I may have a case of the presidency. (laughs) You never know. And And I'm TomTheBomb.com. Yeah, or Punch, whichever way you want to call him. He was one of those killer boots kind of guys for 27 years. What a jerk. But anyway. He never wrote me a ticket, so I don't really care. Right, it can't be all that bad. That's then, it. Right? That's the truth. Yeah. Someday we'll have to tell you the story about I went a whole year without writing a single ticket. Look at you. To prove a point. Look at you. I could be a pain in the ass employee too. Shame all the motors aren't that way though. Jeez. Uh, anyway, we have a very interesting guest today who is a longtime friend that we've just kind of reconnected. Uh, Brian mm. B. With uh, he was a federal air marshal. We'll let him tell us his whole background because I don't even know how long he's been retired. But I know that he is someone I met many years ago uh, when I was still living and working out of Alabama. And then with this recent um, partnership right. we have formed now with the Federal Air Marshal National Council, basically the association for the FAMS. Um, Brian and I have reconnected, which I'm really excited about. And so. I'm learning what a crazy profession. Oh my gosh. That working in that position is. And I didn't even know when I've right. been around so many of them. And, <laughs> and I'm I got a lot to learn. That's yeah. what I can tell you there for sure. But anyway, welcome to the show, Brian. We're really excited to have you on here. Thank you. I'm uh I'm glad to to be here with you good folks today. It has been several years since we've uh, touched base. Um, consistently, you consistently being the advocate for our, our brothers and sisters in blue. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to thank you publicly for, for all the heavy lifting that you've done over the years and uh, undoubtedly saving a lot of lives along the way. Well, thank you so for that. So that's always... Uh, yeah, and and of course, you know your 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 uh, behind the scenes advocacy and help has undoubtedly saved a lot of lives of not just my colleagues and friends, but uh, others uh, who are serving the public on a on a daily basis. So, you know, I, I you know being in this career field for uh, about twenty five years now. Um, you know, in the law enforcement community, and prior to that, the intelligence community and and army. Um, you know, it's it is a it is a very small community. Yes, and a so, small world. Um, and, and you know the the resounding. Uh, I always go to. Um, I always kind of go back to this um, baseline: is that, you know, the the communities of the military and the the what I like to call as the protector communities, the military and the law enforcement, um, for years have uh, they have looked at um, the mental health crisis that we're looking at 
in a um, a very um, uh, shameful condition or a uh, a great deal of stigma and shame attached to it. Um, the in the law enforcement, it's the rubber gun gun squad. Yes. In the um, in the military, it's you know the the mental hospital or you know the the psych ward. And it it is really I'm really glad to see that you know in particularly in the last two and three years that you know the community has um, and 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 the agencies, I'm going to give them a small amount of credit uh, only because I think they've been forced to to look at this epidemic in our in our cultures and our community head on. Mm-hmm. Um, about 18 months ago, the New York Police Department, which is the largest local police force in the world, came out and said that uh, we are no longer um, uh, putting our officers on the rubber gun squad they are no longer losing their shields and their uh, and their credentials and and put into desk positions just because they come forward with a mental health condition. And so for the largest uh, local law enforcement community and agency to do that really did a lot to to break down the wall and the stigma associated with the mental health crisis uh, in the law enforcement communities. Um, with with that happening, we we start to see a a, um, a breakdown of the stigma associated with that. And, and when I say uh, a breakdown, you know, um, a lot of these um, law enforcement administrators, you know, they go to these academies, they go to the FBI National Academy, and really it comes down to a, a matter of risk management and liability for the agencies. Sure. And so, you know, um, I'm, I'm really glad to see that we're starting to see some of that come down and break down. Um, but you know we have we have you know we we've come a few inches and we have literally miles and miles to go so um but yeah it's it's been a long time in coming and you know people like yourself uh, uh under the shield has been has been uh, steadfast for for years and um it's interesting uh, in the last 10 years i've seen all these uh these back the blue organizations is one and there's probably a dozen of them and um i know arcadia health uh bill uh majeure through arcadia health has set up a um a impaired professionals program through them and bill's bill's doing he's um he's retired northeast um uh police officer and he's the executive director of that program and um you know they've set up a, a whole nationwide network of what they're trying to do to to really get officers the help that they need and and I will tell you um you know there are officers who have issues personal issues during their career who have had them and there are officers uh who will get them right right and you know the the availability and the statistics you know it's interesting to note that the FBI does not uh and it's really it's not it's not only interesting, but it's, it's quite shameful. And I think it comes from a liability, but you know, they're not even keeping statistics on the number of officers. Uh, we lose to suicide. I don't know if you guys knew that, I but there's know no, they don't have for, but yeah, for, for years, there's, there's, yeah. there's been no statistics that have, that have uh, been held. Are right? you familiar with blue help? Yes. Yes. Yep. And they've only been doing it since 2016. Right. Right. 
Um, right. So, you know, but again, the numbers just continue to climb and there are all kinds of excuses made about why that is. And I think the reality is, is, is because we still continue to have a lot of law enforcement officers who are afraid to get help, right or wrong. Perception is reality. And really, until we can get the license world to come on board and and there's actually even been some talk we want to have one of the uh, there's an attorney that we want to have on that's going to talk about that archaic principle of of mandated reporting. Um, how he feels that that needs to change. And I can't necessarily disagree with him because <laughs> um, as we're finding out here, one of the things that drives me crazy is how departments don't really understand that a licensed mental health person is not bound by their policy and standards. They're bound by their state license well, requirements. Well, it, it, and Susan, it's interesting that you bring that up because <laughs> so the question that both the officer uh, and the workforce and the agency has to look at is, you know, if they choose to bring on a licensed professional, be it a, a, a LPC, a, a licensed professional counselor, a, a social worker, a licensed social worker, psychologist, a psychi psychiatrist who is a medical doctor or a psychologist who mm -hmm. is a PhD in their field for psychology, um, all of which hold licenses. Yes. And the question needs to be asked by the officer, uh, who does this uh, therapist or this clinical provider work for? Sure. That's right. the first question that, that the officer should be asking. Who does who do you work for? Are you a therapist for my workforce or are you a counselor and a um, um, a professional counselor uh, to to the agency? Sure. Right. Because if they're if they're advocating for the agency, the first thing that I'm going to tell the counselor is you don't tell that person one thing without an attorney present. Right. Uh, for attorney client privileges and for uh, clinical um, privacy re reasons under mm -hmm. the um, uh, HIPAA laws, mm -hmm. right? If they're working for the agency, that 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 um, psychiatrist or psychologist is working for the agency, they're not there to be your friend. Right. They're there to advise the agency on whether or not they should cut you loose under a mental health condition. Right. Exactly. So that that's the first that 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 the officer needs to ask and if they are working for as a therapist for the workforce because i'm going to tell you let's step back for one second the the pro this is the problem when that psychiatrist or psychologist is automatically put into that position from the first day on the job their license is in jeopardy sure and they're going to protect license that is license in jeopardy. yes because, because what does their oath say? The, the first thing that they say, I'll, I'll use the ACA, the American Counseling Association uh, ethics. I'll use uh, their ethics, uh, which it, it's really one of the basic ethics is, is to do no harm. Mm -hmm. And if they're advocating for the separation of the officer from the agency, right? Sure. And they're advising the agency to cut that, that officer loose they're not advocating for their client. They're advocating, their client is in fact the agency and they're, they're, already, they're already putting their professional license in jeopardy because of their ethics. There's, a, there's an immediate ethics question from the start. 
Well, I, so they can't I think there's quite they, a few ethics questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they right, but they can't. You know, they can't serve to. Um, they can't serve for the advocacy advocacy and the therapeutic aspects of the officer and do the same for the city. Um, Be like an attorney representing agent. both sides. Absolutely. Sure. And so, so these providers go in there and the first thing that officer needs to ask is who do you work for? Sure. Are you here to serve me and to, to provide psychotherapy, uh, theory-based psychotherapy, talk therapy, group therapy, whatever it is, uh, whatever theory that they're using, uh, EMDR, are you here to do this for me or are you here to advise your agency? And a fit and for duty, it's pretty clear. Agency, you know, fit for duty, it, you're working, they're working for the agency. Absolutely. No question about it. And, 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 and you know, um, I know an agency re recently, so three or four years ago, they had a psych psychologist who was the clinical psychologist for the agency and they quit working for the agency. And I, I would vent, I don't know the reason, but I would venture to say that there was an ethical dilemma that was that the licensed professional was facing. And so this same agency has gone and hired another uh, psychologist. And, you know, the question was brought up is, you know, and my, my, my immediate thing was, you know, um, their, their, their license is in jeopardy from the first day, because what do they do if they're, if they're advocating for the separation based on a mental health condition, which as we, as you well know, is probably very, very treatable. What, what have we, you know, and they're advocating that the agency, uh, separate the individual. What have you done? Sure. You've de facto harmed the officer, right? You've put them into a. <clears throat> A very very dangerous place. They know that they're going to lose, that possibly lose their job, or at least be la labeled with a mental health condition. And so the first thing they're going to do is they're going to say, "Well, you know, I can't, I can't deal with this." And and we know what happens from there. Sure. sure. And so, so that that's kind of the, what I, you know, the the one over the world viewpoint on this that I've that I've seen in the last couple of years. But you know. I've also seen a few chiefs out there who are doing the right thing and they're, you know, it's the chief who says, and this is kind of, I'm a visual learner. So this is kind of how I, I tee this up and I understand it, but imagine if you will, somebody's down on the ground and you have the opportunity to either lend them a helping hand and reach down and help them. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you have the ability to walk over to them and kick them repeatedly and make sure that they don't get up. Sure. Okay. And so I like to visualize the chief who reaches down, the chief or the administrator, um, to reach down to that officer and say, here's a helping hand. I'm going to help you up. I'm going to help you get up and I'm going to walk through this and we're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Right. And I and we're starting to see that. But it is um it is a very, very uh it's it's very hard for the chiefs to do that unless they're given the ability and the authority by their um, either their community or their board of directors or whoever the, the municipality is that they're working for. And unless there's a buy-in through the entire chain of command that this is the way we're going to run our operation, um, 
most of the lawyers will and you know i know the lawyers don't want to hear this but they'll say no we're not going to do that because of the liability involved with that mm-hmm. um and and i i would venture to say that's probably what they're learning at the fbi academy well and you here's know, where, what we're where trying is this, where is this? here's what we're trying to bring to the table and you and i hadn't really even had a chance to talk about this but this is why we started the stress coach certification. It's 40-hour certification. And we believe there has to be a three-tiered approach here if we're going to make any difference in mental wellness in law enforcement. We're not talking about mental illness. Most cops in this country have been MMPI'd to death. So we have to bring something new to the table. We've had peer support. We've had the license world. And what we bring to the table, we say we are educators, not therapists. And we're not mandated reporters, which is also why we offer our services through associations as a benefit to membership versus a city um, or county or a governmental agency hiring us. Then we have the ability for officers to come to us safely. And Tom is one of our newer stress coaches. But the ability for an officer to come in and say they're suicidal, and then we're finding that 90% five percent or more of the officers and we have stress coaches all over the united states and two in canada and we're finding that sleep deprivation is the key so we can get them sleeping better turn it around in 48 hours otherwise we can send them to someone we have chosen in the licensed world we have a psychologist we work very closely with out here in uh, the phoenix area who understands law enforcement and the way he handles things. And it's it's a great partnership. And we'd love to have more psychologists and psychiatrists come on board with us. Right. Um, but we can't have them breaching confidentiality because they hear something that makes them think, ooh, he might be suicidal. Well, I, I so let me comment. Yes, I agree with all everything you said. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. The the ubiquity of sleep deprivation across all of the law enforcement fields uh, cannot be understated because it's absolutely everywhere within our profession. Yes. It's, it's to epidemic levels at the air marshal service where I came <laughs> from. Yes. The, as you, as you well know, it's, it's shift work syndrome or, and in about 10 years ago, they published a Harvard sleep study that they uh, classified as sensitive security information because the, uh, I mean, and this is not a community college conducting a study that was commissioned by the agency. Right. This is the preeminent uh, medical school, you know, in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. A research, uh, a center of excellence for research. I mean, that's the medical school in the United States. And they, they commissioned a sleep study and the, the results were so detrimental and so that they meet and, and so harmful that they immediately classified it. And, you know, that <laughs> that'll fix yeah, it. <laughs> that'll fix it. Right. And, and, but, but this is the bottom line. There's nothing really new there. I right. mean, the, right. the United States government has, you know, and my background is in aviation first and foremost, and then intelligence and law enforcement. And I find myself back in aviation today. But um, I will tell you that 
you know, the sleep study issues as a, as a train, I was a, a military aviator and I flew commercially for the airlines for, for a few years. And, you know, the data that the, and as you know, as, as a scholar that the, we, we really, it's important to get the empirical data to back up our, our what we're alleging. Mm -hmm. And so the empirical data has been there for a hundred years, Susan, Yep. Uh, of sleep deprivation and the second and third order effects of that. So I, I would agree with you, um, notwithstanding the fact that, as you know, under DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, the, um, the, the diagnosis Bible of the uh, mental health world uh, talks about, uh, a, I, I forget the clinical, there's, a, there's actually a code and a term for it, but, you know, acute uh, sleep apnea, and it's all tied in with sleep deprivation, and uh, it's all linked. And, you know, I use, uh, I use a sleep uh, machine and I started using it about two years ago and it, it changed my world. It changed uh, uh, my life in, in a way that made it much better because I, I, you know, and I, I had come up with some, some cardiac issues and I think they were all from uh, prolonged um, sleep apnea. Sure. And I've, I've and it was a colleague that came up to me and said, hey, you need to go get tested and you need to start using this. And sure enough, six weeks later, I was like, damn, he's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've advocated, but but you're right. The, the So I'm going to quote a doctor. His name is Danko Shrinko. He's a MD, PhD. He's, he is my personal uh, sleep study, but uh, physician here down in the Atlanta area, Danko Shrinko. Uh, he, There's a he name. Is, <laughs> wow. Yeah, how's that, that's a how's that for fifty dollars? Huh? <laughs> but this this is a man. This is a physician who not only was in practice, but he was a distinguished uh, teaching professor at Emory Medical School. And he looked at me, and this and this guy didn't come out to me. Uh, this guy didn't come out to me. Uh, uh, like a, a normal doctor would. I mean, this guy came out with, you know, the big reflective. I mean, this man is not just a, a, an esteemed medical doctor, but he's a scientist. And he looked at me and he did his, and he says, look, if you don't get the sleep stuff right, mm -hmm. he says, nothing else falls into place. And he right. was absolutely right. You'll die. So I want yeah, so I wanted to share that with you that, you know, the sleep deprivation aspect is absolutely a great causation. And um, as you know, uh, when you're not getting oxygen, you know, the other organs don't work right. And the, the to put it in layman's terms, you know, the, the brain does not work as efficiently when, when you go into what's clinically called, to, called as a hypoxic state. And, you know, your brain and, and your heart and your entire body does not function the way that it should. Sure. And so we go into a hypoxic state and it, it affects every aspect of it. it affects your mood. It, it affects depression. It, it, it affects um, the way you feel, the, the way you handle yourself, your mental state, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, there's a whole host. If you want to, if somebody wants to look it up, look under DSM-5 you know, acute, um, uh, sleep apnea and, and you'll come up with, and you'll go off and check all the, but I would, I would caution people listening to, you know, uh, please don't be diagnosed yourself. That's the worst thing you can do. Find mm -hmm. a good provider, uh, a medical doctor, uh, ear, nose and throat or sleep study. Um, snoring. it's usually under the, the heading of a snoring clinic 
that can help you with uh, with the proper diagnosis. And if you do that, you will find that it it probably fixes many of the the, the challenges that you had. But but in in terms of the law enforcement community, you know, it's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere within the law enforcement community. Right, and it's so not just from apnea really, either. We we need to make sure we're clear. Sleep deprivation comes from lots of things, not just apnea. It, you get it oh, from, yes. oh, from absolutely. work schedules, absolutely. shift change, mm-hmm. shift you know, syndrome, stress, yeah, absolutely. It's, it, everything. Yeah, stress stress has a stress contributes greatly to that. Trauma. Also. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. And that's and again, that's what we're seeing as people that law enforcement is very comfortable walking in our office and telling us they're suicidal because there's no threat of them losing their jobs here. And I've only had to do it once, but I had one that the department was aware. So I wound up putting him in the hospital under sleep deprivation, which nobody thinks twice of, um, Mm -hmm. versus putting him in under suicidal ideation where he gets locked up on a psych unit. Instead, they gave him, I forgot what it was, something now to sleep, which we're not fans of, but whatever. Um, And he slept like 33 hours. They called me. I checked him out, took him home. And matter of fact, he's going to be retiring um, sometime within the next 12 months. Yeah. I mean, and, and will he be, um, he or she be retiring under a medical retirement Mm -hmm. or no, nope. Just regular 20 years in. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, um, that's really wonderful that, you know, you were able to do that because without that, you know, the, um, what I, what I've seen is, is, you know, when I usually get the call and, you know, I've had a lot of the calls just as a informal peer counselor, uh, and non-trained peer counselor, by the way. And I want to get back to that because I think it's important that, um, the audience here, here's what I have to say about this, but, um, you know, when we get the call, it's usually, you know, they're, they're right there with either the, the weapon in their hand and, you know, and they're ready, they're ready to go. And so, um, you know, I would, I would ask everybody listening today, you know, if you're sitting in that chair and, you know, you're thinking about doing that, take five extra minutes and, Pick up the phone that's probably sitting right next to you and make a call. Call 911. Call under the shield. Call under the shield. Call a friend and say, hey, I'm in a really bad way right now. Can you help me? Sure. Just just do that. Do that for yourself. Do that for your family. Because what what a lot of people don't know is that there's an immense amount of help available out there. And you will not lose your job. You will not lose your clearance. You will, what we used to say in the army, you will take a knee and drink water. You know, you will take a rest and, you know, you'll be, you'll be able to collect your thoughts and get back to the job that you enjoy. And, but it's going to take you to doing some of the, what I refer to as the touchy feely things along the way that, so this is, and this is really what I wanted to start out with, but, you know, traditionally, you know, we start out, you know, the, the mental health issues and the psychological things, and even the medical issues is, 
really relegated to a 30 minute PowerPoint presentation at the end of the day as a check the box endeavor. Oh yeah. And it has been for years, you know, it's okay. Well, we've got one more PowerPoint. You got to look at it's about mental health and the rubber gun squad. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Right. Yep. That's usually the way that goes. Yeah. Right. And, And everybody laughs about it and, you know, but who's laughing when the guy or gal is sitting there, you know, at literally at the end of their rope. Well, so, and, and here's something else I do have to throw in, and, and maybe it's different in the Atlanta area. But law enforcement officers, again, having stress coaches all over this country and Canada, unfortunately, most places in this country are not progressive enough that officers don't lose their jobs mm-hmm. over being suicidal. That's the truth. Uh, we see it quite regularly here at Under the Shield. Um, I wish everybody was more progressive. Um, but just like the National Suicide Hotline that a lot of people advertise for law enforcement to call, they actually send people to do welfare checks. And it's the police that are coming. And if they happen to work for the same department, that jo- that officer's job may very well be in jeopardy. And this is why we encourage them to call us because, again, we can, there are things we can do, we can recommend, we can get them to the right place if we can't handle it, which 99% of the time we do. Um, but unfortunately, we have not grown enough in the mental health field to understand that officers suicidal usually has nothing to do with mental illness, but good people with a lot of psychological garbage in their garbage can that are afraid to reach out for help. And it's, it's a pretty sad thing that we have not progressed any more than we have. And so that's something that has to be said. Yeah, of course. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, the other part to this is, is these, um, and and I'm not really sure that you'll agree with this. I, I hope that you will, but you know, um, we, we've seen in the last five to 10 years, um, there's been a, a resurgence in the CERT programs or the critical incidents response or the, the peer programs. Mm-hmm. And it's been my experience, you know, that the CERT, the CERT program is, is staffed by, by peers and people who are selected by management mm-hmm. who need to put a bullet on their resume or a, another thing on their resume to, to show their uh, ability and to help them get promoted. Yep. And it's, it's nine out of 10 times. It's not somebody that that the person would trust. They're usually seen as a sellout or snitch. Right. And most of the workforce is not going to go to that person anyway, because they can't really can't stand them. Sure. Number one. Number two, they don't trust them because of that. And, and number three, they're not going to call them. But the last point is that they're going to take the information and they're going to give it to the organization or the agency. And it's going to be used against that person because there's no confidentiality whatsoever. Right. Right. And so you'd be amazed at how many people I knew were SERP trained, and when and when I say this, I'm making little air quotes with my fingers, but they're SERP trained, and 99% of the 
the peers and the colleagues do not trust them. Well, and originally, Brian, if you remember, <laughs> I run that team in Alabama. We peer support was never intended to be in-house the way it is today. We don't let right. our peers in Alabama on our team even go into the same county where they work. Right. So there's a lot more confidentiality there. And funny, they have all these state laws. They have one here in Arizona that there's confidentiality with peer teams or peer support. But the very first exception is if there is a criminal investigation, not if the officers Absolutely. are under criminal investigation. Yeah. Why would Pierce get involved in anything where they're in a criminal investigation? So automatically right off the gate, out of the gate, confidentiality's out. Absolutely. And even, even uh, licensed. So um, for everybody out there listening, even licensed providers are statutorily and ethically required to, before I start a, a session, I have to say that if you tell anything to me that it's harmful to yourself or to anybody else, I am, I am bound to report that. Yep. Now there's, there's a different, that goes down a different tack than it does with somebody who's, who's SERP trained or peer support trained. Um, but the fact of the matter is they, they almost nine out of 10 times don't have the, the respect for their, for their peers. Sure. They're doing it because they want to get promoted or, or to uh, because management needs somebody that they can trust and boss around and tell them what to do. And so, Hey, go be on the cert team. This will look good to get, get you promoted. Yes. You know, the, the typical, um, <coughs> excuse me, pardon me. The typical, <coughs> pardon me. Bless you. Um, Thank you. Um, the the typical uh, cronyism that that I've seen so much over the years, you know. Do the and air marshals have peer support? I I don't know what they have. They they have a a SERP team. Okay. But again, it's it's staffed by people. The um, it's staffed by people that I I won't I don't I don't. In fact, when I was the union president for you know the first thing I told him is. Do not go to the SERP team because mm -hmm. anything you say to them will be used against you. Yep. Call me, you know, call one of my, one of my guys and, and I'll put you immediately in touch with them, but do, don't trust them because there's no, there's no statutory confidentiality. And you know, that the, you know, the, the entire dialogue is subject to be used against them and probably will be used against them and stacked with other charges uh, if the agency decides they want to go after that individual. And, and quite frankly, you know, a lot of these people, if, it, if it's, uh, you know, the agency is probably stacking charges, especially in terms of a substance abuse or, or uh, controlled substances or uh, substance abuse, um, you know, the agency is probably already stacking charges on that individual. Talk that's, to us that's, about what you think the, the core problems are at the FAMS? Um, it started with um, the beginning of the, of the agency back in 2001. Mm -hmm. And they just, they, they took a us versus them mentality from the beginning. And it was based on a very directive management style that was uh, based on, favoritism and cronyism 
and the 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 good off the good supervisors are um, there's ten percent that are good, fifteen to ten percent that are advocates for their workforce and care about their workforce, and the rest of them don't care. What's the um, benefit in starting it with us against them? What what's the benefit there? Yeah, I don't understand that. Um, that's just the way they came. That's the way they stood the agency up. It was, it came over from the secret service. Uh, I know a lot of good secret service guys, but the ones that started the air marshal service, um, were, they didn't, they, they absolutely do not care about the rank and file. It's do as we say, not as we do, uh, everything for thee, but not for me. Yeah. Cronyistic, um, you know, let me give you an example. Okay. Most of the, I, I can give you many examples, and I've <laughs> this is nothing I haven't said to the director himself, past directors, not the current director, but the past directors. Most of the supervisors haven't flown a operational mission in years, and when I say years, I'm talking fifteen to ten to fifteen years. Um, they don't have the same qualification standards that we have in the field. They don't fly with their people. They don't lead from the front. They, they, um, some of them may work hard, but most of them don't. And they'll, they'll hear me say this and they'll say, you know, this guy, well, okay, that, that may be the case, but you know, I'll take my miles and my years in service against your miles in the seat of an airplane any day, <laughs> twice on Sunday. Um, so they don't fly, they don't, they're not out in the field, they're not in their operations, and therefore they don't know what's going on. And quite frankly, they don't care. Most of them are trying to reach their, their eligibility for retirement, and then they're gone, and they don't really care. When they started it up, it was a lot of annuitants that would who actually came out of retirement, they were making a nice retirement, and they called themselves the, the Million Dollar Club. So they would work for five years after being retired from the Secret Service, who is able to retire on a DC retirement versus a traditional uh, US government retirement. So they would come over to the FAMS on a five-year contract and they would make a million dollars. And um, they, weren't, they weren't interested in making the agency better. They weren't interested in establishing core foundational principles that would set this up as a premier law enforcement agency. All they wanted to do is get their money, tell you what to do. And I had several of them tell me over the years, sit down, shut up, eat the food and, and keep your mouth shut. Wow. Don't make an arrest. Don't do any, unless somebody's, uh, if somebody's trying to hijack the airplane, kill them. If they're not, uh, you know, shut up, <coughs> shut up, and sit down and uh, eat the food. Wow. And that's and they've and so that that reckless um laissez-faire and abusive um philosophy management philosophy has permeated and now we're on the second third generation of managers and they've you know they've um passed that along and they've trained up the newer managers to to really it's not quite as bad as that it was but but still they don't i don't really feel that they care you know, if they did, they would, you know, our, our scheduling has gone, um, 
you know, um, in the last uh, two years, they've thrown the rule book out on the scheduling. They don't really care. You know, the COVID stuff hit. And, um, you know, we still have managers that are, are sitting at the house. You know, they, they do about, you know, on a, on a good week, they do about – maybe five hours of administrative, you know, stamping timesheets and, and approving travel claims and the rest of the, you know, they're making, you know, 150,000 a year and they're sitting at the house and taking phone calls and calling people in sick, Wow. you know, and, and, you know, and they're, they're sitting there, they're marking time until they're eligible to retire. And then that when they retire, um, you know, they'll look back and they'll laugh and say, you know, easiest money I've, I've heard them say it, easiest money I've ever made, man. Jeez. You know, and in, in the, in, in the interim, it's, it's the men and women in the seat of an airplane who continues to provide pr protection for the citizens of this nation and have done so since the day after nine 11. How do we right? change it? You know me, I'll jump up and down anybody's desk. Whose well, desk Susan, do I need they, to be jumping they, up down? <laughs> okay, so so I'll answer you, and I have a, I have an answer for you. So, you know, I know Admiral David Pekoski. I briefed him. I I know him. He knows me. I have respect for him. But he's micromanaging this agency right now. He does not care about the flying fans. He cares about the um, he cares about the screening workforce and the 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 flying federal air marshals are an afterthought. And he's micro and he's coming up on his tenure with it. Um, but we 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 change it um, with a the uh, appointing of a director who cares about the men and women who are doing the job, who is uh, a fighter and who is a um, a change agent and not someone who will go along with the status quo in Washington, D.C and who treats the the flying air marshals with dignity and respect that's the only way that it will get changed and it has to start from the secretary of homeland security it has to go down to the tsa chief all the way down to the director of the air marshal service and until that happens until that person is put in that seat because we all know what needs to be done. Nobody's done it. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to, and I'm, I'm doing the, the air quotes again with my fingers. Nobody wants to upset the apple cart. Nobody wants to make the hard changes. Leave it alone. Wow. And, and you know, it's that simple, but yet none of it's been done. Hmm. And so, the director is a presidential appointee or not? No, the director is appointed by the administrator of the Transportation Security Administration. Okay. Yeah, we're so, trying to figure out the hierarchy here and yeah. dealing with with the group because, again, the FAMs are beginning to call us, and we want to be as helpful. Where does Congress come in on all this stuff? They have any any influence here? Well, so I had a conversation about two years with Congressman Benny Thompson. Um and he was very supportive, but, you know, it stopped with him. I think he wants to help. I think members of Congress want to help, but, but there's nobody willing to really take on. I mean, when you talk about the FAMs to any member of Congress who knows about it, they just look down and they shake their head. 
because uh, I've, mm -hmm. I've had this conversation with them before. They shake their head in disgust and, and really nobody wants to do the heavy lift or appoint somebody um, because what, what um, David Pekoski is doing right now is he's, he's downsizing the agency through natural attrition. Yeah. See the cohort, the cohort hire started in, as you know, as a function of 9-11 mm -hmm. and they did a cohort hire from uh, September of 2001 to about uh, January of 2003. So there's about an eight in, I'm not sure the dates line up there, but there's about an 18 month to 24 month cohort hire of the initial stand up restanding up of the air marshal from the original 33 but that cohort hire is now starting to retire so for the next 24 months you'll see that that same cohort hire now retiring now the actual number of air marshals is classified and they keep that number close to their chest um i have an idea of what it is and you know they they don't think that you know, they're going to lose a large percentage. I think they're going to lose 60 to, to possibly 80% of the active workforce. Wow. So that'll, that'll leave you with less than a thousand air marshals. And then um, there's a, there's a movement underway within the agency and at TSA and Homeland to, to reconfigure the air marshals so that they're in more ground-based assignments and not flying as much. Cause they're um, not even hiring. When, when's the last no. time the air marshals hired? How long has it it's been? It's been years. It's been years. Golly. That's scary. So there's, so there's no, there's no, um, there's no act. You know, they'll say, oh yeah, we're, we're starting hiring. And, you know, they'll go through the motions every, every year and say, okay, we're, we're putting a job posting on USA jobs to make it look like they're, you know, they're, they're starting to hire again. But the fact of the matter is they're not. Or they might they might put 20, 20 or fifty through the academy, but it but it in no way um, offsets the you know the mass exodus, sure. which is what's going on. So what do they have you do in the ground position? They're going to kind of go that um, direction. Well, there's there's the uh, Viper teams, which is basically a, it's a, a intermodal protection, uh, visible intermodal protection and response team just kind of like a pseudo SWAT team that goes around to Amtrak stations and airports. And it's kind of a show of force team. They have some of those, they have some that are assigned to airports in pseudo investigative roles. Um, but that's really it. And they've been looking, you know, there's, there's some other, um, some other things that they're doing on the ground that, you know, around the aviation and transportation domain. But, but that's about it. You know, the fact of the matter is, you know, we were stood up under the ATSA of 2001, the Aviation Transportation Safety Act, you know, to protect the, the flying U.S. flag carriers, right? And that's, that's basically what we've done. Um, but what we found out and, in, in, you know, which they really don't care about is um, the systemic and chronic medical conditions that are arising out of um, you know, sleep apnea being one of those of uh, 20 years in the seat of an airplane, you know, this should be a detailed position that uh, you can go to with one of the other federal agencies, you go be an air marshal for a few years, and then you go back to your host agency, 
or you go over and you do other you do other investigative things in Homeland. Um, it, it should really be a detail from Homeland Security uh, for a couple of years, and then you go back to doing investigations and other you know federal uh, police stuff. But but that's uh, and everybody talks that and everybody says, well, we're going to do that, but you know nobody's put it into motion. So so they're gonna they're gonna right size, I don't want to say right size, but they'll, they'll downsize the agency. They'll have less than a thousand, I think. That's just a guess, right? Mm-hmm. I want to make sure everybody hears that. That's a guess, all right? I don't know the numbers anymore. You know, people know the numbers, but I don't know the numbers. Uh, and, the, and really, it's irrelevant. Um, X amount of air marshals will be, will be assigned, and, and, you know, it won't be the, the coverage that we need to protect our growing aviation fleet. You know, our, our aviation fleet, um, I did a study for the RAND Corporation prior to m- my law enforcement days, and, you know, the aviation uh, infrastructure was supposed to double, and I did this study back in uh, 1998, 19, uh, time frame, and we were supposed to double the aviation uh, footprint in the, in the world by the year 2035. <laughs> well, there's been a few things that have elongated that, but suffice it to say that by the year 2040, the aviation footprint, and what do we base it on? We base it on orders and options of airplanes. How many airplanes all these airlines are, are ordering? And the aviation is growing uh, at an exponential rate across all domains in all, and international countries throughout the world. The, it's also the most visible target for, for terroristic acts and threats so that will continue to expand and the 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 threat against aviation will not go away because of the second third order effects of what we saw in 9-11 so is that what it's going to take is another 9-11 type event for somebody to go wow we need to ramp this organization this group back up is it the fact we haven't had anything in 20 years I often say the lessons we refuse to learn, right? So we'll go through this thing, we'll downsize the agency, and then, you know, hopefully, hopefully that won't happen. You know, that that'd be another tragedy in in our history. Sure. Um, and I think we've institutionally, we've you know, as a nation, we've done a lot of a lot of growing and a lot of um, hardening of our of our threats. But as soon as we 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 hardened the the threats against us you know the the adversaries and the enemies find a new way to get around that so we always have to be two or three steps ahead to prevent that and part of that is having a robust and capable air marshal um you know workforce and and police force that is able to respond to these growing threats against aviation because quite frankly it's not just against aviation anymore it's against you know We've seen, 2021 has seen the, the advent and the beginning of commercial space travel, mm-hmm. right? So the transportation domain is expanding. We're also going to see in the next couple of years, the reemergence of the supersonic uh, transports, you know, uh, private and commercial airplanes that are flying at the speed of sound. You'll be able to go to New York to Paris in two years, or excuse me, two hours yep. or thereabouts. So the aviation and space domain continues to expand. There will always be a need for security in the aviation and transportation domain. Sure. You know, so 
for for our nation to say, yeah, I, you guys have cost us too much money over the past 20 years, and we're going to go ahead and downsize you, you know, that's kind of scary. It is. Right? Because and- are they willing, you know, are they willing to uh, to take that gamble? You know, is this Apparently. Is another... Yeah. Is another 9-11 event going to be, um, is another 9-11 event, um, is that going to happen uh, because you decided it was too expensive? Are you going to, are you going to let that happen on your watch? And apparently they don't see the value of it because they're, you know, we've got a trained and capable workforce. You've abused them for 20 years. You've treated them like crap. And, and now you're going to downsize them. And, and oh, by the way, the, the vaccination stuff is coming up and, you know, they're firing X amount of air marshals for their disagreement with the vaccination status. Now, I have my personal thoughts on that. I'm personally vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, vaccinations in this country has never really been something that you get to get a vote on. You get vaccinated when you're a child, you get vaccinated to go to school. Uh, I took the vaccination to protect myself as I flew on the airplanes and, and for my family. Um, but I certainly constitutionally respect the right of any of our great citizens sure. to say, no, that's not for me. And I have the constitutional protected right to do that. Right. right. And now they're getting ready to fire a bunch of air marshals because they don't want to because they don't want to do that. What's the deadline on that? Have they actually given one? It's it's passed. It's passed, and they're starting to they're starting to um, you know issue orders for 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 uh, terminations. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Are there uh, any I mean, studies out there on um, air marshals and? the frequency of cancer and diabetes and other stress-related illnesses that there's no family history of. Is anybody following any of those kinds of things? Well, we're all following it, but they, you know, they hold all the, they hold all the empirical health data with the air marshal service behind closed doors. They're not letting anybody, they're, they're classifying it as sensitive security information and wrapping it in HIPAA, Mm -hmm. right? And they won't let anybody see it. (laughs) But if, if somebody were to get a court injunction to get access to the data, I think you would find that our, our medical occurrence rates are probably double that of, uh, at least the average, uh, us worker. And it's it's probably an exponential uh, multiple of uh, the transportation uh, community, because remember we are the only. This is important to note: we are the only transportation that workforce that is not regulated uh, with our work hours or our work conditions. Right. The flight attendants are regulated. The pilots are regulated. Even even Uber drivers and in over the road. 18-wheel over-the-road truck drivers have more regulations about how they work and how long they can work more than our air marshals. Now, what does that tell you, right? That tells you the inherent uh, lack of respect and, and, you know, I don't give a shit attitude towards our air marshals. It's absolutely 
crazy to think about that and and think about how disrespectful that is sure you know sure it shocks the conscience well and the sad part is the public and so many people outside of the industry really and truly think this is a cakewalk you sit in first class and life is good they think the same thing of airline pilots and and having dated one for three and a half years and been around the industry since 9-11 working with the federal flight deck officers um, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> and I, and I was a, you know, and I was a, a commercial airline pilot for almost three years mm-hmm. in addition to be a military aviator for 20 years or 20 plus years, actually. And I will tell you that, um, you know, they are very, very regimented on how long they can fly Yes. and, and we're not, they can fly us as long as they want. Sure. Sure. And up until about two years ago, they started, you know, they started to, you know, get a little bit better at it. And then COVID hit and they said, yeah, we don't care about any of that. We're going to fly in. We're going to continue to fly in until you retire. And, you know, I briefed up Admiral Pekoski, um three or four years ago now when I was the, the FLEO agency president. And I provided him a 35 page document. And I gave him an hour-long desk side brief with with my my staff as well as his staff present, and I told him that it was not not uh, a matter of uh, how, but how soon and when we would have an, an air marshal expire in the seat of an airplane, and three months later we had an air marshal expire in the seat of an airplane. Wow! And and I gave him this written report in this desk side briefing. And he looked at me and he says, I agree with everything in your report. And over the next four years, he didn't do a damn thing about any of it. Not one, not one thing about any of it. I still have the report, uh, Susan. I can give you for, for your review and approval. I mean, that's the level of, uh, I won't even say it's, uh, it's uh, I, I'm trying to think of the appropriate word, but they just, they just don't give a shit about any of the flying air marshals. And the sooner they go away, the sooner that this, this, um, they get rid of and downsize and right size them, you know, the happier they're going to be. But the problem, the problem with that is, is, you know, at some time in the future, the, the air marshals will become relevant again. Mm-hmm. And that everybody, you know, from the president on down will be scratching their head. Trying to figure out what happened. Where they're, they're going to say, and pardon my language here. Where are the fucking air marshals? All right, that's what they're. And you can yep. you can edit that. Nope, no, we're good. No, we're good. <laughs> but, it's good. But 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 Susan, that that's that's the reality here. Yes. Well, they right? do the same thing with the federal flight deck officer uh, group as well. I, that that program was set up for failure. It just didn't fail. <laughs> uh, I mean, not making, like they thought it would. Making the FFDOs walk around with their guns in boxes? Are with, you kidding me? With a round what, what? in the chamber and a lock through the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, carrying around your gun in a box. You know, and I and I know, I know Captain Joe DePete, the the Alpha chief, uh-huh. and he supports us, you know, but but I mean making I mean, and most of these, you know, airline pilots are my friends, per, close personal friends and colleagues. Sure. These are people that I was in the military with that have fought in the wars. They're, they're bronze star and yes. silver star recipients. These are our nation's best. Yes. They are, they are um, our, our nation's best and brightest. They are airline pilots. 
they're working hard to to fly everybody around and they're and volunteer they're positions that's it they're 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 volunteering what they're doing yes. to to tote around on what we call a pistol a, a hog leg they're 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 volunteering to do this on their own time to protect their airplanes in the in in TSA and Homeland have treated them like redhead stepchildren. It's absolutely uh, it's, asinine. It's, it's asinine. It's well, it's asinine. Doesn't even, it, it's. I don't even think that's the appropriate word. <laughs> I mean, who who came up with it? And they did it so that they could put all these roadblocks in place to make it so that an airline pilot, yeah, I, I might I might do that, but I can't do it because you know. Half the half the month I fly internationally, and the other half I fly domestically. So they're putting all these little roadblocks in. These are these are modern day patriots, yes. right? Who who are strapping a gun on when they're flying their commercial airliner, and you treat them like this? Shame on these people! Well, it's what unbelievable. I, I hear stories of <laughs> captains with a gun, FFDO, and they go through their clearance part and they will keep their nail clippers or their pocket knife and you go first of all have you ever been on a flight deck there's a fire axe that with one swing <laughs> you can take several heads off and you're worried about the guy with the gun flying the plane with a fire axe having a pocket knife or nail clippers are you kidding me <laughs> it's and that's that's the type of these these uh imbecile the the imbecile judgment and the not the lack of common sense people that are making these decisions that is absolutely um it's dishonorable yes and um it is an active threat to the aviation domain when they when they make these poor decisions that not only put the flying public at large but but really put our whole way of life uh, in jeopardy yeah, really. because of the second and third order effects that a, an aviation based attack can have on us. Yes. And, you know, we know what to do. We, we know how to do it. I mean, uh, and, and, and yet they, they hamstring us up in every opportunity and it gets to a point where you say, you know, what is wrong with you people? What, where did you, what, you know, they, for instance, they, they put, um, they put things in, in place in the air marshal program and they didn't even consult the flying air marshals. Yeah, they, they're they, known this for is that. the way, this is the way you're going to do this. They, you know, we are the, so the, the American federal air marshal is the best at what we do in the world. Mm -hmm. We, we are out, we're actually teaching other countries and other nations across the world how to do what it is that we do. We're the best at what we do. We shoot more. We, we are the best at transportation security. And they don't even consult us on basic tactical uh, decisions that they make. I mean, and I'm not talking uh, space stuff and futurist. I'm talking basic tactics. Sure. No, this is the way you're going to do it. Uh, well, sir, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't really care that you that you know that it doesn't make any sense. It, you know, this is an air marshal with 10 million miles in the seat, been doing it for 17, 18 years, is the absolute best subject matter expert in this type of tradecraft, and they don't even ask them what they think? Mm -mm. No. That's, that's who's running these agencies. Wow. 
you know, it, it's shocking that somebody hadn't gotten half a brain in the government and thought, you know what, we probably ought to make some changes here. What do you think? You would think somebody would. Then again, common sense has definitely left the building. Um, it just started leaving the building a lot sooner with these organizations right. than most of us saw. And, you know, I mean, Brian, you and Stephen and I started trying to get under the shield into the the federal air marshals. Gosh, how many years ago has that been now that we were hitting a brick wall even back then? I, well, I mean, I've been back, out here even, nine years. Even even back then. And, you know, that was that was when they were starting to. And, and yeah, they they just they don't even they don't even want to have the, the dialogue. And then, uh, you know, then they, then they put the, you know, when we started having, you know, uh, exponential rates of suicide in the agency, then they said, well, you know, we'll, uh, we'll put together this SERP team and that'll, that'll answer that'll the mail it. on them. But like I already told you guys, nobody trusts any of the SERP team members. Well, and honestly, so it, they're not trained to deal with someone suicidal. They go to a one day course, an eight hour block of instruction, and all of a sudden they, they come back and they're signed off and they're, you know, and, and the agency has answered the mail and the agency is able to sit in front of Congress and say, oh, yes, we have this very robust SERP program, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. well, okay, well, then how come you had X amount of suicides last year? You know, and then they and then they say, well, we don't know, Congressman, we'll have to get back to you on that. Right. Well, we we all know the reason why, because the suicides are through the roof and they hide the answers. Sure. I watched I watched the. Uh, I watched the recent director who I know and sat in front of Congress and told him what they wanted to hear. <laughs> you know, it's like a bunch of children are running the place. Um and I, I, you know, I'm just thankful that Sonia was brought to our attention and us to her attention that at least now through the National Council, we can begin to try to have some level of impact. Uh, you know, if we if well, we help one. Um, I mean, if, if anything that I'm saying is incongruent with what Sonia no, and her team no. has said. <laughs> no, not I at mean, all. I so, mean, Sonia... But, you know, um, I've worked closely with Sonia and, and, you know, I have an immense amount of respect for her um, uh, and her team. And, you know, we've worked very, very well. And, um, you know, part of the problem is that the, was what I refer to as the give a shit matter. Mm -hmm. You know, who really gives a shit about the air marshal service, you know, until we have another aviation uh, related uh, incident. And, um, you know, that that's the problem, you know, that. Um, and, you know, uh, I know Sarah Nelson uh, very well, the AFA uh, union president. I've known her for a long time. You know, her, her flight attendants are, are getting beat up and assaulted. The, the number of assaults on flight attendants and air crew has increased at a geometric rate over the past 18 months. Um, due I got to a the question COVID. about that. Do the FAMs yeah. get involved in those assaults or they aren't authorized to? Well, that's that's a really good question. Um, they they will get involved at a certain point, okay. but but uh, prior to a certain point, they're not they're not going to be the mass mass police. Okay. We there was just a recent uh, where they got involved where where the I think the flight attendant was assaulted, okay. but 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 the 
this is the problem. Um, a lot of the airlines are telling the um, the flight crews to enforce the mask policy, right. and it then the the flight attendants uh, take that as they need to be the mask police. Yep. And you know that that's that's where all this has has led to um, all these encounters that you know, 5,000 encounters, I think, for the year 2021. We've never seen those numbers. I mean, that's <laughs> 20 times what it's ever been right. on the worst in the worst year. So, and to be honest, the on the flights I've been on, some of the flight attendants actually escalate the situation because they haven't been taught how to de-escalate when someone is angry or they wake them up because it slipped right below the nose. And so we've put them in positions of some level of authority they've never well, had before. And the, 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 air, the airlines are putting them in these positions, right. Susan. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, but some of them know, are taking it a little farther than others. I've been on flights. They absolutely are. And, and, and you know, the, this is the thing. By the time that customer has gotten to the airplane, they've been harassed about their mask at least five or six times. Yes. Right? So the, the shuttle bus driver the Uber driver, the Skycap, the ticketing agent, the TSA agent, yep. there's five right there. Yep. Then you get to the gate, there's a gate agent, that's six. You know, anywhere from five to 10 times, they've been harassed about their mask. Right. Right? And by the time they get to them, they're number 10 or 12. And the person is like, look, I'm wearing my mask. I'm a grown adult. <laughs> I got I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a snooze and it slipped down on my nose and you're going to put me in zip ties and, you know, and report me to the captain because it slipped down below my nose. Yeah. And that's what you know, I mean by they, they don't know how I'm to deescalate. Yeah. And I'm not trying to disparage the, the flight crews and the, and the flight attendants. Because Lord knows they have a hard job. I, I, you know, I've been a member of the flight crews, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like I haven't walked a mile in their shoe. I haven't been a flight attendant, but I've been a pilot. And, you know, I get it. Sure, sure. Uh, wow. So. Well, Brian, I, I don't... <laughs> all I can tell you is we do, a, we do care about the fams at Under the Shield. That's why we're jumping into this thing with both feet. Both hands, everything, 100%. Um, and we want to have you back on the podcast again as we progress in, in this relationship we have with the FAMS um, National Council. And, you know, as you see things changing, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever, you know, let us know because we'd like to have you back on where you can help educate us because you've done this job um, and you're kind of on the outside now with still a lot of internal knowledge on how we can help things we can do because we do care. I think, I think the most th things that you guys can do is continue the advocacy and be a, a source of, uh, of um, sanctuary mm -hmm. and concern for the fams and um, just knowing, knowing having your number and let, letting the workforce know that you guys are out there and you care and that um, no matter how bad it is, or no no matter how bad that you think it is, at 
the when you hear this or or you have a friend uh, and and sometimes those warnings come in ways that you don't really recognize sure but no matter how bad you think it is pick up the phone and call somebody right you know even if it's it call anybody call someone sure because we all we all care about you we want you we thank you for your service we thank you for your diligence um and we know how absolutely hard it is for the job that you're doing yes but there is an end in sight and there's no shame in the kumbayas and the and the touchy-feely stuff in fact you know it's it's really the hallmark of a true man or woman who can embrace this touchy-feely stuff and this things that you've never tried before and the things that you've laughed at others for doing if you try it one time it it probably is going to help you and it doesn't mean you're not as much of a badass and it doesn't mean you're not as much of a skilled federal agent and and tactician what it means is that you're human sure every one of us is human you can either and i and i say this a lot you can either deal with the stuff constructively in a positive manner or it's going to manifest itself in a way that you will not be able to control through through the use of controlled substances or drugs through uh, mental health issues or or uh through suicidal ideations and 99% of the time, it's not your fault. Right, right. It's not your fault. And there is a, an immense amount of help and people uh, that are available. You're not going to lose your job. You're not going to lose your clearance. You're going to take a knee and drink water for a period of time. You're going to get your shit together and you're going to get back on the job. And that's how it's going to go. And how do I know that? Because I've fucking done it. And if you don't believe me, ask somebody sure i've done it sure and for all those fams or families of fams that are out there uh we encourage you to call us uh, our toll-free number 24 7 we are not a referral source we are the resource 855-889-2348 my personal cell is 334-324-3570 tom your number my number is 480-861-6574. We will never ask your name. We do not keep notes or records. You can be Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, whoever you want to be. Um, because the the what's important is, is that you're reaching out and that there is help. And one of the things that, again, we are educators. We have so many tools on our belt of all natural things for sleep, for anxiety, for depression, things tried and true that work. Um, again, I've been doing this 30 years. Tom's one of our newer stress coaches, but he's been a cop for 27 years. And just know that you can reach out to us anytime, day or night, and we will be answering our phones. If you have to leave us a message from the 855 number, I'll tell you, if you hit extension 1, you will get a stress coach. If you hit our personal extensions or call our cells, um, you may possibly get voicemail because of the fact that we're on the other line or we're doing the podcast or we're teaching <laughs> a class or, or something. I don't sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead, I guess. But 
Um, the reality is, is that we will get back to you or you keep calling us. And uh, we just want you to know that, again, we're not mandated reporters. We have no obligations. It's complete anonymity. So please, please, please reach out to us. And we're just honored to be here to be a resource for you. And uh, we'll be training some fams to uh, be stress coaches or retired yeah. fams to be stress coaches so that we have somebody that has done this job. And we're going to continue to be educated about what's going on here and ways we can get involved and help. And Brian, we thank you for your time. We thank you for all your service that you have done from many, many directions. It's an honor to be able to call you a friend, and I'm glad we've reconnected. And I am too. You know what we didn't do? We didn't wish everybody a happy new year because this is going to be our first episode of 2022. Of the new year, yes. 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 Oh, so you're I, kicking it off, Brian. That's it. You're <laughs> the first one. We're setting the tone well, here. <laughs> let's begin. Let's begin the new year right. This is a new year. It's a new day. It's a new hour. Yes. Yeah. Put it, bring it all together. Start the new year off right. Know that you're loved and you, that we care about you. Yes. Uh, whether you're an air marshal, whether or not, you, whether you're a federal agent, whether you're uh, a deputy sheriff or a corrections officer, uh, anybody, uh, a firefighter or first responder, um, you do not have to go it alone. Um, take what I've said here today to heart. If you're if you're listening to this in your podcast and you're driving to work, and you know your boss is beating you up on the phone, and you know you go in and whatever happens. Just know that there's people who have who have walked a mile in your shoes and we're right. ready to lend you that helping hand. We're not going to let them kick you when you're down. We're going right. to lend you that helping hand and we're going to take you. You know, there's a there's a thing. It's called the footprints in the sand. Yes. Where, right. You know, uh, we're going to we're going to carry you. You're going to see one set of footprints and it's when we're carrying you. And right. we're going to be the that 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 little bit of hope that you're going to hold. We're going to be the knot at the end of your rope. Absolutely. But if you just do what we tell you to do and give up some of your control, we'll get you through it. And and you'll be there to to be there with your family, to be there for those graduations, for those weddings and, and for those memories that you're going to make in the future. But, but you have to understand that what you're going through, uh, majority of what you're going through is not your fault and you don't understand it. That's right. And and we are here for you. And this is a great resource. And um, it's going to be okay. So bring it on 2022 because we're <laughs> here to help and we're not going anywhere. And we are growing in numbers with our stress coaches all over. Right. And so it's only going to get bigger and better. And again, Brian, thank you very much. And again, it's good to see you, my friend. And we will certainly good be in you. touch again soon. So God bless everyone out there. Thank you for your sacrifices. Thank you, families, for your sacrifices. And may God bless you and your families in this great country as we start this 2022. Welcome to a new year. That's it. Stay tuned. More to come.